Good morning, everybody. It's Jeff Goldberg for the Sales Pro Network. Uh, as you know, I'm a sales coach and trainer, and I work with both individuals and organizations all over the world to help them do one thing and one thing only, increase their sales, get measurable and sustainable sales increases. And I put together the excuse me, the Sales Pro Network to elevate the profession of sales. This is a place where salespeople, whether you sell as all of your job or part of your job, can come to get free coaching. You can ask questions and get advice from great people like today's guest. You can share your successes, your challenges. And every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern, we do either an interview or a training with somebody who can add value to the profession of sales. And I guarantee you, today is no exception. It's my pleasure to introduce you to one of my new friends, Dean Forbes. Good morning, Dean. Good morning, Jeff. Thank you for having me, man. I appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm excited to be speaking with you because I've been following you for a while. Would you maybe just tell everybody who's watching a, a couple of minutes about your background? What brought you up to this point? And then we'll get into what you actually do. Okay, sure. So what brought me to this point, i uh, try to keep it short and sweet for this particular piece, is that uh, a long time ago, over a decade, 15 years by now, uh, I met someone who became my first mentor after my dad, basically. So this at this point, about 15, 16 years ago is when I first started getting into mentors. And uh, she essentially saw something in me that I didn't see myself. And she she essentially told me at the time that, you know, I, I'll tell a story another time, but she was essentially saying to me, hey, Dean, you know what? You're meant to actually lift people, pull greatness out of people. That's your gift. That's what you're meant to do. Like, you know, um, you, that's your focus in life. And when she said it to me, let's just say, you know, one day when I tell the story, people understand that when she said it to me, it was like almost like the words were just ringing true. Like it felt like my spirit was aligning with the words as she was saying them. And the moment she did that, <clears throat> boom, in went the dean that you see before you today. And I'm different from then, but that's what I've been developing over the years is creating an impact that matters in the lives of the people that I'm called to serve. And that is what has brought me here today. <clears throat> There've been many rounds to that fight, but this is me creating an impact. And, and is that the moment that you were, knew you were meant to do this when she spoke those words to you? Yes, that was the moment I knew that that's, that's when the shift happened. You know, because before that, you know how you're you're doing something and people think you're good at something and, and or it's happening every now and then and it's but it's not like predictable, you're not focused on it, but it's just something that seems to have a recurring theme in your life. And then comes along someone who kind of puts that exclamation point on the theme and you realize, hey, wait a second, th th this is why I was put here on this earth. I get goosebumps every time I talk about this, by the way. This is why I was put here on this earth. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. And all of a sudden, Every decision and every action after that becomes very focused on channeling just that energy. You know, some people call it the superpower or whatever, but that's what happened. So that was the moment. That was my epiphany moment, knowing what I was meant to do. Yeah, absolutely. I took that with me in every single career, business that I've ever been in, grown, owned, whatever. Wow. So uh, when you just said you, you're getting goosebumps saying it, I'm getting goosebumps listening to it. And here's why. Uh, I fairly recently... I think it was about three or four months ago, I had a conversation with my coach, uh, who is just spectacular. And she actually referred me to somebody else for a conversation. Um, I don't know how woo-woo you are, but a psychic healer, uh, a real intuitive. And I believe in all that stuff. And I had a conversation with that woman. And she, she told me that I wasn't following my life's purpose. Oh, wow. That's a, that, that's a weird moment. And uh, <laughs> she said to me, uh, would you like to know what your life's purpose was? And as you can imagine, I went, yeah, I'd like yeah. to know that. Please, please tell me. And when she spoke it to me, just like you just said, 
I felt it deep inside my chest as an ultimate truth. It was one of those moments where I knew exactly what she was saying was the truth. You know, mm-hmm. there, 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 there's black and white, there's gray and there's truth and not truth. But this was absolute 100 percent truth deep inside me. I could feel it. And I actually broke down in tears because I realized I, I hadn't been following my life's purpose the whole time. So when you say you felt it and you're getting goosebumps, I'm with you, my friend. Yeah. By the way, good morning it's to Steve. Kent. Good morning to Steve Kent. Good to see you, my friend. Don Levine, our friendly recruiter from Westbury, Long Island. Good to see both of you. If you're listening and you have not uh, said hello yet, please do. And if you have not connected your uh, Facebook account to StreamYard, please do that, too, so we can see who you are. If not, please put in the comments who you are. And if you have any questions for Dean as we go, just put those in the comments, too. So, Dean, you know what are you doing now? You're an impact coach. What, what does that mean? So one of the things that I discovered throughout my career, uh, and by the way, this this that I'm doing now was only distilled during the past year of 2020 with the pandemic and everything, when everybody had time to think and slow down. You know, for me, that time was a blessing for me because it made me slow down. And I had to really think about, you know, like, what's next step? What's level up? Everybody's talking about this level up stuff and, you know, next step. And, you know, but it, they're all words until you're actually in a moment of actually making a decision to level up. So what did that look like for me? So what that looked like was I had a coach. I had to get a coach, right? And when we were distilling what I've done over my career in terms of working at on Wall Street and working at one of the probably the largest beauty company on the planet and then owning my own coaching business and then owning a salon and then, you know, crashing and burning and all of those things happening. I was like, okay, Dean, so what, what has all that been about for you? And here's the thing that came up. We recognize, or I was helped to recognize that the way I've been able to generate transformation, income, um, you know, moments of clarity for myself and for the people that I'm called to serve is through improving what I call my impact factor. And what I discovered, at least for me, is that impact equals income. So what that made me start to do was to really focus on how am I going to make an impact today when I'm called to serve these people. So I started coining the phrase, having an impact first mindset. So before I think about my agenda, before I think about the income I can make, because I can generate thousands, millions of dollars, I know that's possible, but how? What is is that platform going to stand on? So my platform is impact first, income second, as the effect of the impact. So today I am coined as an impact coach because I believe in generating sales through impact. Simple. Mm. Got it. And, and I know you have an impact first mindset. Why, why do you believe in that so deeply? Because, you know, one of the things that I learned from one of my uh, uh, other mentors who taught me how to facilitate in front of an audience is, you know, he would say, Dean, one of the things that you're really good at, but you don't know you're good at it and you need to focus on it, is that you have a tendency or a knack for hearing what the heart is saying. So he said, so what I want you to do when you stand in front of an audience or when you do your recon work and you're going to go speak to people, you're going to coach one-on-one, whatever, I want you to listen to what's said very actively, but I want you to listen deeply to what is not said because that's where the treasure is. That's how you flip people. That's where the transformation happens. So an impact-first mindset allows me to begin with a servant's heart. So if I'm truly going to serve, I'm trying. if I'm trying to serve you, Jeff, then I have to turn my mind off, right? So my, my agenda has to be suspended. And then I have to 
essentially engage my heart to be able to connect with yours. So I can hear what your heart is actually asking for. Then I can truly help you from an emotional base, right? That will lead to a logical decision that you're going to make because you know you need to make it. So the impact first mindset, I think, puts me in the exact right space to hear somebody truly so they could feel understood. Seek first to understand before you seek to be understood. As a matter of fact, that's what people buy from you. People don't buy from you when they understand you. People buy from you when they feel understood by you. So impact first mindset is the big force behind all of those principles that are not new. They're not original, but that's where I sit. That's the reason. Steve Steve Kant says he never heard impact equals income, but it makes sense. And uh, I I love what you're saying uh, uh, for two reasons. One is that your dedication to making an impact in other people's lives. And I love that servant mentality. Uh, I've spoken many times about, you know, Zig Ziglar saying that the word sell comes from the word sell you, which means to serve. It doesn't really, but but it's a great thought. And and our our selling our, should really be a servant mentality. It should always be, how can I best help you? How can I best serve you? Because when we come from, uh, I need to earn a commission, I need to pay my mortgage. Um, people can, I always say they can smell commission breath. The prospect is not really interested in you or me. They're interested in them. And the other thing that you said, which just totally resonates with me, is that need to be a listener. So many people that I deal with, salespeople, one of their biggest challenges, one of the two or three, is they suck at listening. Suck. And I believe that's because we think, as salespeople, we think we get paid to talk. We often go into sales because we're fairly good at speaking to people and making friends with them. And those things are important, but it's not about the speaking. I I often say this, you know, we think we get paid to speak. No, we don't. I get paid to speak. You get paid to speak, but not when we're selling. When we're selling, we get paid to ask questions and listen actively. And that active listening piece, I feel, is so crucial. And very few people have that because we seem to be interested in listening so that we can talk. Instead of listening to, as you said, be understood. I, I, I love that beyond belief. You know, uh, Jeff, one of the things that my father would say to me when I was younger, I didn't understand it till I got like into my early 20s or mid 20s. And because I would I, I'm a good talker. OK, and I used to talk a lot when I was younger. It got me in trouble a lot. That's what got me in trouble the most was the mouth. And we said, Dean, why do you think God give you two ears on one mouth? And he would say that to me over and over again and never, ever really told me, right? Then one day, I think I was probably around 19 or 20, he said, Dean, why do you think God give you two ears and one mouth? And I was like, so you could listen twice as much as you talk. <laughs> yep. Steve Kent to put in the same thing at the same moment, two ears and two, one mouth for a reason. That's absolutely, yeah, that's what he used yeah. to say. Yeah, we, 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 when we're selling, we, not, not you and not Steve and not Don and we, as salespeople, we tend to just want to dazzle people with our brilliance and present, present, present. In my experience, the best salespeople are sometimes terrific presenters and sometimes not. Sometimes they're strong closers and sometimes not. But they're always great question askers and great listeners. Yes. And that's a real art. And most people, uh, first of all, they don't see that that's really the essence of selling and they don't know how to develop. And I know that a part of impact coaching is certainly helping people develop that. You yeah. also talk about something that I'm fascinated by, the three C's. Uh, what are they and how can salespeople use them to increase their sales? Okay, so the three C's, 
for me, is something that has been uh, essentially boiled down over the years of my experience. So, you know, you there, there are a lot, there's a lot of information out there about how you sell and, and, and what does it look like and what's the framework and what's the script and this and that and the third. And I feel like a lot of that stuff has been overused. So I've been able to distill at least what I do coming from an impact first mindset down to the three C's. And if you're going to sell, here's the thing. The first thing is you have to connect. If you can't connect with your audience, you can't inspire them. You definitely can't sell to them if you can't connect. And you got to connect on an emotional level. So that's where I use my heart to head method to help my clients learn how to connect on an emotional level so that essentially they can enter conversations already going on in the minds of their client, in the minds of their ideal prospect, the ideal audience. So that's the first C is connect. The second C is command. You have to be able to command authentic authority. What does that mean? You have to be able to tell to increase your power of influence to a point where your audience will not just know, like, and trust you, but look at you and go, you know what? That guy has traveled where I want to travel. He knows what he's talking about. And if I want to go where I say I want to go, then I need to follow his journey. I need to model him. So you have to build authentic authority through your power of storytelling, which is where my PTI playbook comes in. And I teach people how to do that. And then the final scene is the one where you say, you know, a lot of salespeople do fall down on this one, and that's commit. So what's the commit portion? The commit portion is the closing portion, but I don't call it closing because that's been, to me, that's overused. When you say you're going to close this, you're going to close the sale. It seems aggressive. But commitment, though, is a process that I call inspire the fire, where you are able to ethically show your audience the enormous painful cost of their inaction <laughs> And at the same time, paint a very compelling picture of their trans their ultimate transformation that they're looking for. And that's how you get somebody to commit. They have to be able to see, man, if I don't do this, I'm going to die. But if I do press this button, I'm going to live. Would you like to live or would you like to die? That's kind of the scenario you got to put the person in. But you have to do it ethically. Like you need to mean it. You need to know that when you paint that painful picture of inaction, it needs to be true that this is what people face if they don't actually take you up on your offer. And that's the three C's, connect, command, and commit. And would part of that commitment also be not just getting your prospect to commit to you, but you also having the commitment to truly have that servant mentality and yes. truly do the right thing for them? Yes. They need to know that you're going to be there to take them through that journey. Hey, here, here's what you're going to have when you do this. See, when, when you press that button, when you come over, when you sign up, when you do whatever action you want them to take, here's what I'm going to continue to deliver to you. Here's the thing. When you close, your prospect or your audience needs to feel like you will die before you let them fall down. You will die before you let them fall down because you know what it's like to fall down. You've been there before. So you know what? I am i don't even want you to bruise your knees. That's my commitment to you. So that's the whole part of commit. It's a full 360, Jeff, and thank you for saying that. It's a full 360 of commitment. You know, your commitment to trusting me with your vulnerabilities right now and my commitment to protecting that confidence, 100%. Well, apparently your story is connecting with someone because Steve Ken says, yes, the power of an action can be a great motivator. Yeah. And, and telling people, you know, look, what's going to happen if you don't do this? That, mm -hmm. That's a great conversation to have. Um, you seem to have very definite feelings about why people buy from you, not necessarily you, Dean, but from a salesperson in particular. What, what, in your opinion, why do people buy from someone? Okay. So this, so Jeff, this is a question that I fielded thousands of times already in my career. And I, I think I've, I've answered it differently over the course of time. But for the last decade, 
uh, or so, I would say I've answered it in one very simple way because people say, you know, it's it's the price. It's they like you. It's this. It's, it's there are all these different reasons. Right. But to me, there are only two reasons why people buy from you at the end of the day. OK, the first one is a high perceived value. Now, here's the thing I want, want to make sure that anybody listening understand. It's not value. It's perceived value. So it's the value that your audience perceives that you bring to the table. And you need to create a high perceived value in their mind and on their heart. Okay. And the second reason is convenience, right? So it's, it's, it's the, the level of convenience. So how convenient is it going to be for me to access this thing? How much work do I need to do for me to get off my ass, if you will, to make this happen in my life? So that's where that part comes in where you come in and say, hey, I'm going to walk you through this. Here's the blueprint. This is the process. Step one, step two, step three. And at each of these junctures, I'm going to give you this worksheet, that that um, framework. I'm going to get on a call with you. You know, that's the convenience of it all. It's not just, look, we, my lady and I, uh, you know, we, we she had a salon. And we ran it together for uh, four years before we sold it during COVID at a profit, by the way. Okay. Which is awesome. But here's the thing. We created probably five to seven, six figure stylists in that salon legitimately. Okay. And a big part of that was the convenience of their coaching, their training. They were able to sit with us one-on-one every single month to talk about their problems, their roadblocks, their desires, their dreams, their goals. And then we painted them a very clear picture of how they could get there. So they had the hyper C value. And then they had the, it's like you, you create a space where it is like no excuses. Like if you say no, then you don't really want this. What you, what you, whatever you said to me before about really wanting this is definitely not true. You need to look in the mirror and make sure that you're, that you're being serious. So hyper C value. And convenience. Those are the two reasons I believe people buy from you. Yeah, I, I think it's crucial that we, when we're selling, we make it easy for people to say yes to us, easy for people to do business with us. Too often I see companies and individuals making it hard for the customer to do business with them, which right. is silly. Uh, you know, at, at the end of the day, you know, I, I'd love to believe, and I used to believe this, I stopped about five or six, maybe seven years ago. I used to believe that the salesperson has to control every part of the sales process from start to finish. And I came to the realization that we just don't. We don't have a ton of control. The prospect can agree to meet with us and talk with us or not. They will decide to buy from us or not. And we don't have control over that. What we do have control over are the things that you said. How do we, how do we share with them that perceived value? How, we, how do we get them to perceive that doing business with Dean Forbes or Jeff Goldberg or Steve Cantor? Fran, good morning, Fran down in Texas, or anybody actually will provide the, that value that they're looking for. And the other thing to me, uh, and you kind of touched on it, is relationship. I believe people buy two things, and it's relationship and value. And I guess convenience could be part of relationship. But, you know, uh, I've been selling for nearly five decades now, and some things have changed for sure. But one that hasn't is that for the most part, unless you've got what people want and they can't get it anywhere else, which for most of us is not true, mm-hmm. if they can't get it anywhere else, then their relationship doesn't matter. But if they can, if we have competitors, which most of us do, we need to have a relationship with them. They have to see us as someone who cares, has that servant mentality, and then they see that perceived value. And mm-hmm. Fran says relationship, totally agree. Right. I, I wanted to go back to something which you, you mentioned earlier, and it really struck me. Um, can you talk a little bit more about heart to head? I like that idea. Yeah. So uh, 
the 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 science essentially is the psychological science essentially says that people buy with their emotions about with their heart and then they justify that that purchase with the logic in the head right so what i often find that you know salespeople or speakers presenters and coaches might do when they're presenting or doing one-on-one is that they're always trying to connect with the head first like they're trying to go with the logic or this shiny object is so brilliant or here are the features and benefits and blah 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 and what i found is that sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't but what works on pretty much everyone is if you can make a person go hey I think he's talking about me. That, that's me right there. That's the heart. That's the part about entering conversations already going on in their heads. You know, so it's like when I used to train salespeople uh, when I worked at uh, L'Oreal and I go out train salespeople, people would come into the room and they might say, hey, how would you like to make X amount of money this year or next year or whatever? And of course, salespeople, they always raise their hand about the money, right? But, you know, that didn't really motivate them to go sell. You know, that really motivated them to sell. So, you know, Dean would come in and he would ask a question like, you know, when was the last time you guys took a vacation for a week with your family, had absolutely zero worries, you were completely present for them, and you knew you were still earning your commissions because all of your customers were completely taken care of and you had no worry in the world. And they would go, man, like you, you could see the drop in the room like, man, I, I, I want that. And then the next question would be, how many of you would love to have that particular mindset by the end of this year? And they're like, yeah, how how do we get that? Well, that's the heart. Now I can go into the logic because I've got them on the heart. Now I go to the head. Once I got them on the heart, then it's easier. So my my, my goal is to um, penetrate their hearts and then open their minds. That's the heart to head method right there. I think we just got your next book, Heart-Based Selling. (laughs) <laughs> no, I'm with you. I'm with you a million percent. People absolutely they do buy with their heart or or they buy with emotion. They back it up with logic. And too many salespeople are too matter of fact, uh, too, too right. engineer like, if, if you we might use that term. And they don't take into consideration that the prospect is a person, not just a wallet. The prospect is a human being with troubles and Correct. aggravation and joy and all that other stuff. And if we don't connect with them on that human level, then they tend to mistrust us because we as salespeople, not you and me, Dean, of course, everybody else, right. we have a bad reputation. We you know, do have people, a bad reputation for that. That's true. 100%. Yeah, for, for, for the most part, people think that we're lying, thieving scumbags who yeah. just want to take their money. And you know, it's a sad reputation to have, but it's the fact that most people feel that way, including professional salespeople, by the way. Uh, when I when I do large scale seminars, I, I, you know, I always ask salespeople, you know, what words come to mind to you when I say the word sell or sale or salesperson, and we're talking about rooms full of professional salespeople, they'll raise their hand and they'll say things like thief, liar, cheat, pushy, yeah. yeah. And these are professional salespeople describing themselves. Well, they felt it, right? They felt the scorch of the earth on on their profession uh, many times over. And it, it, it's kind of sad. You know, unfortunately, Jeff, I, I do think that we still have a lot of work to do in the sales community in that respect, because I do believe that there's a lack of clarity and certainly there's some ignorance on the part of some professional salespeople and some of the younger ones that are coming up now, if they continue to learn from that, those bad habits or that framework of how you set up a sale to go like logic and matter of fact and be presenting and blah, 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 blah. I mean, it's just going to get worse and we don't get to tip the scale to decide that it needs to go to, which is like we're talking about now, the, the heart to head, the impact first, you know? Yeah. 
I, I think it's time for a sales revolution and we might be the two who need to lead it. You know, it, it, it's, it's, it's astounding to me that, that in today's day and age, especially after what's gone on in the last year and a half, that there are still guys doing what we do, but they have that, that mentality of killer, take advantage of people, braggart. I mean, uh, I, I know you run a Facebook group, this group, the, the Sales Pro Network that we're broadcasting to right now is a, a Facebook group, but I've investigated a bunch of the other sales groups out there and they're, they're mostly filled with people who are bragging about how much money they made, what kind of car they drive, bragging yeah. about how they, they talked somebody into something that they didn't really need. And I read that stuff and I go, Really? This is that's, that's not. I mean, do you want to compare bank accounts or cars? That's that's not what I'm here for. And no. I'm not here to take advantage of people. I'm here to. You said the word, and I love it. I'm here to serve. I'm here to help people because I truly do believe that. Uh, and this is again Zig Ziglar, who I'm a big was a big fan of. When you help enough people get what they want, you get what you want. You want every single time. And that's by the way, Jeff. That's been proven in my life over and over again to huge degrees that you can't even imagine. So you know, it's like it, it, it's not even. It's not even something that needs to be said anymore. That's an automatic thing. It's a principle of life, man. Come on already. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and if anybody doesn't believe that, they should read Bob Berg's book, The, the Go-Giver. Givers get. They, they just yeah. do. Yeah, you know, I, I, I belong to a networking group for 16 years, and the, the leader of the group and I talk about this all the time. You know, give. Just keep giving. Just keep give, giving. Give, give, give generously with no expectation of anything in return, and it does somehow get get back to you. It may not be the person who you gave to, but somehow the universe brings it back around to you. And I 100%. trust and believe in it. Yep, hundred percent. What's the vicious cycle of said herd meant? That that, that one fascinated me. Yeah. So, wow, uh, this one is key for salespeople, and because salespeople need to understand this one thing. The quality of your, of your communication is going to equal the quality of your results. So let me say that again. The quality of your communication equals the quality of your results. So why is that? This comes from also the whole premise of hearing what's not said. So what's said, what's heard, and what's meant are often three very different things. So you have to know how to stabilize that, right? So you might say something, and you definitely think that the person heard it the way you said it and took the meaning the way you meant it. And then all of a sudden they come back to like, wait, what are you talking about? Why would you say something like that? Who are you talking to? And then what the other, what the salesperson does or the person doing the presenting does is take offense and go on the defensive immediately and says something like, well, what do you mean? How come you don't get it? Like, and then it becomes a confrontation when the truth is you said it earlier, Jeff, one of the things that, you know, us as sales professionals need to learn how to do, we need to master the art of questioning. Okay, so what I do to prevent the said, heard, meant vicious cycle is I'll say something and then I'll ask the room, what did I just say? What did you hear? So, hey, guys, when I say something like that, what do you hear? And then they'll tell me. And what does that mean to you? So I stabilize it in the room. So here's what's interesting. And this is very important if you're in front of an audience. When somebody in the audience stabilizes the room for you, you win every single time. Because when they're out there in the audience, they believe that they're the team and they're either with you on stage or they could be against you, depending on how you respond to them. Right. So what I'll do is I'll put it out to the audience. And I say, say, when I say something like that, what do you guys hear? And you get a few comments from the room and you say, OK. And when, when that's said and you hear it like that, what does it mean to you? 
And then I can say that that's exactly where I'm trying to go, guys. That that was the whole point that we were trying to make. I want to drive that home for you and so forth. So you have to be careful of said, heard, meant, and make sure you stabilize your message every single time you put it out. Yeah, and it's the same thing whether you're in front of a large audience or yeah, selling one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that, 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 that's an, such an important notion. Uh, I, when I'm talking to salespeople, I, I consider it taking responsibility for both sides of the conversation. Because in life, yeah. most, we don't do that. Jeff, say that again. As take salespeople, as salespeople, we need to take responsibility for both sides of the conversation. I don't know if you can repeat that enough, my friend. <laughs> I, I completely agree. Amen. In in life, we tend to take responsibility for only one side of the conversation, our side. I'm speaking, you better understand it. Well, that's not a great way to, to live, but certainly as a salesperson, it doesn't work because doesn't. what you said is 100% true. You know, Sometimes the person says something and we just don't understand what they're saying. Sometimes they don't express it well, well and we're the same way. And if we don't use checking questions, make sure that we're being completely understood, then we're in danger of, we think we got the point across, but they're scratching their head, maybe not literally. They're going, what, what is Dean talking about? What's Jeff talking about here? Yeah, and I can't tell you how many times I've seen salespeople walk away thinking, wow, I just did a great job. And then they don't get the sale and they can't figure out why. It's because- you, know, you know the worst part is, Jeff? They'll sit there and not say anything and go ask somebody else, what do you think Dean was trying to say? That's the worst part is when they don't even ask you because whatever you said or did in your communication in that situation, they didn't want to ask you. They didn't feel comfortable asking you. They weren't, they didn't trust you enough to be vulnerable enough to say, hey, what do you mean by that? And you didn't have the awareness to stabilize that conversation. So they walk away asking somebody else and they go, oh, you shouldn't listen to that guy. He's full of crap. And now your sales over completely. Can't even go back to it. <laughs> yeah. Um, you talked earlier about listening for what's said, but also listening for what's not said. That seems to be a little more challenging. I, you know, It's easy to listen. Well, I'll take it back. It may not be easy for some people if, unless they're actually active listeners, but it should be easy for people to listen to what somebody else is saying. But how would you advise people to listen for what's not said? Yeah, so uh, this one I would say is a little challenging for me to explain, but I'll try to do it because it, this is part skill and probably part gift or acumen or something you were born with. I think it's, I think it requires both of those things. And I don't know how far everybody is on that scale because, you know, it was kind of brought to me as like a gift that I had. And then I went on to develop it, but here's how I see it sitting. You have to be able to show true empathy to listening, to listen to what's not said. So, and there are only two ways to me that you can show empathy. The first way is I have sat in your shoes and been where you've been like directly in your shoes, right? I've walked the path that you're not trying to walk. So whatever roadblock you face, however you stumble, I've already been there. That's the first way, which is the direct way. The indirect way is that I have been in contact with, helped, coached, trained, sorry about that, there's the noise out in my, in my complex, uh, trained people or whatever, who've been down the road you've walked, and here's how I was able to relate to them, if you will. So if you can't show true empathy, then you can't hear what's not said. Because if you have true empathy, then the person's body language will tell you everything. When the person leans in, when they lean back, when their head drops down to the left or drop down to the right, when they look up, you know, all of these things would start to mean something to you because if you have empathy, then you have the level of vulnerability to say to a person, hey, you know what? I just noticed that you, that you sat back 
in your chair there for a second when I said X, Y, and Z? And I just want to know if that hits you differently than I wanted it to. What, what did you hear when I said that? Just want to make sure you're good. So it's about also checking in. You got to check in. Like, and I think intuitively, sometimes we see a person step back on their heels or look down or look away or they're not giving eye contact or whatever. And then we just don't address it because we're afraid of what they're going to say. That's the other thing. I am never afraid. Jeff, this is important. I'm never afraid. I hate that. I'm so sorry, guys. I don't know how to get that out of here. All good. I, I am, I am, I'm a big fan of um, not being afraid of what the other person is going to say because I'm not afraid to say I don't know. See, salespeople don't want to say I don't know. They don't want to, they don't want to not have the answer. So they won't ask the question if they don't think they'll have the answer. Like, what if the person says this and I don't know how to deal with it? But it's very simple. Jeff, I, I say, hey, Jeff, how you doing there? What, what happened? And you say, Dean, you know what? I, I, I don't think this is going to work for me because, you know, I, I, I have that up the wazoo and I don't know how to get rid of it. Now, maybe I don't know how to get rid of your debt. Right. And I say, well, Jeff, you know what? I hear you, man. And that could be a roadblock. And I've never, ever worked with anybody on their debt before. But you know what? I can make a few phone calls in my network to see if I can get somebody that could really help you with that. Now, if you got help with your debt, is this something you would consider? See, that, that's that's it, right? But you got to be able to go there. So I think, I hope I'm explaining this correctly enough, but empathy, I think, is key. You got to check in and you can't be afraid to ask the pointed questions when you see the elephant in the room. You can't be afraid of the answer that's going to come back and to say, you don't know. It's okay. And that person has to feel that way. Besides, it humanizes you. That's the other thing. You have to be humanized in front of your client, in front of your audience. You have to be humanized. They need to know that you are a human being. Yeah, I think you're 100% on the money here, Dean. Too often I see salespeople who think they have to have all the answers because I guess it's some psychological issue. We don't want to appear stupid or wrong or whatever it is. But the fact is, look, I know some highly intelligent people. And I find that highly intelligent people are, A, thoughtful, be smart enough to know that they don't know everything and see willing to do exactly what you just said to say the words, you know what? I don't know. My mentor is one of the smartest human beings I've ever met. And I know some really smart people. Uh, he's brilliant. And way more than once he said to me, I don't know. I don't know the answer, but, but let's figure it out. Let's figure it let's out. Work on it. And, and that comes back to what you were saying earlier about seek first to understand and then to be understood that empathy that you're talking about. And that's it. You know, people often say it's an overused word like pivot was for the last year, mm-hmm. except empathy is overused for a reason. It's not overused. It's used because it's an appropriate word. And I think so many people don't understand the difference between sympathy and empathy. You know, right. Sympathy is I feel sorry for you. Empathy is I'm trying very hard to understand what you are feeling, who you are, what's going on for you, whether you can relate to it or not. But like, I can't relate to somebody who has cancer, but I can understand or try to understand what they're going through, Yeah, uh, which which is going to make them feel better about me. And certainly in a sales situation, while we hopefully aren't running into people who have cancer all day long, uh, or at least we're not having that discussion, we do need to understand them. We need to try to put ourselves in their shoes. Because we tend not to do that when we're selling. We, we tend to be me-focused or I-focused. And my advice to salespeople is get that word I out of as many sentences as you can. It's impossible to avoid it completely, but Absolutely. it's really not about us. It's about them. 100%. 100%. And, you know, you mentioned the whole cancer thing. And that actually is a scenario that did happen in my life. My lady had breast cancer last year. 
during COVID. Now she's totally fine now, but I've never had cancer. I mean, she had a fear that, you know, that maybe she would die or something like that. And in the beginning was kind of like, no, you're strong. You're going to live, da, 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 all of this. But I had to take a step back and do two things. One, understand that I've never been told you have cancer. Never been told that, right? But here's what I did live. This is the indirect part of showing the empathy is that I've lived with someone who had cancer, right? I saw what that person went through. I had to learn how to be a support and a help to that person that I love. And number two, I had to learn how to manage my own emotions about how I went through that. I felt almost like the um, the military spouses because they serve too, right? Because that person is over there protecting the country and you're home worried if they're going to make it. How do you deal with that emotion, right? So that's that thing that you have to understand. And I think that it's a huge lesson right there uh, for me. That was huge. And I'm glad you brought that up. Mate, yeah, talk. great. I'm so glad to hear your your, your lady is okay. You know, it, it, it's, I, I think from the most part, people come from a good place. You know, when, when we say, no, you're going to make it, it's going to be okay. We're yeah. trying to encourage and be positive and all sure. that stuff. But in, in truth, we're almost negating the other person's feelings. It, it, right. It's like somebody's, you shouldn't feel sad. You shouldn't feel afraid. You shouldn't feel upset. Well, people are going to feel what they're going to feel. And when we try to invalidate it, that certainly doesn't put them on our side. They're not going to yeah. buy from us. I mean, we're talking about uh, somebody who you love who had a, a, a potentially uh, life-threatening disease. But I think the better place to come from is, wow, I'm assuming that must be scary. Why don't you tell me what you're feeling? How can I help you? Let's talk this out rather than trying to push our thoughts and ideas on somebody else. And at some point in the sales process, we are going to share our thoughts and ideas, but that first come from has to be, tell me about you. Tell me about what's going on for you. What can I do for you? What's, what are you doing? What are your challenges? All that stuff that we need to ask when we're selling. And, and that's the I think that's the empathy you're talking about, yes? Absolutely. That is exactly the empathy I'm talking about. Yeah. Here, here's doc, Dr. Rich Atkins says, I can't stand it when people say you got, you got this. this. You know, when I say I've got some highly intelligent friends, well, Rich Atkins is one of them. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, you, you like to say change is inevitable, but growth is optional. What does that mean? Yeah. So uh, re- repeat that, Jeff, because I, I just put my headset in because I want to cut this. Got uh, I, I've heard you say change is inevitable, but growth is optional. What, what do you mean by that? Okay, so change is a constant of the universe. It's a principle that we cannot control, right? Things are going to change, whether you believe it or not, whether you know it or not, whether you're aware of it or not, it's going to happen. Now, what you do with that change is completely up to you. So are you going to grow when the change comes or are you not going to grow? Are you going to stay the same? You know, lots of people are so afraid of change that they're willing to stay the same. So they don't grow. See, growing is a choice for you. Change is not in your in, in your control. So here's how I look at it. This is this is the 90-10 principle at work, okay, which basically says this. We have zero control over 10% of the things that happen to us. The other 90% is how we respond to that 10. Right? Very simple example. You get in your car, you drive out on a highway, there's a traffic jam. There's an accident up ahead. The light's broken. doesn't make a difference what it is. Okay? You can't control that whatsoever. That is completely out of your control. So you got some choices here. You can start cussing at everybody, you know, flipping people a bird. Or you can realize, hey, you know what? I hope everybody's okay. 
I hope there is an accident up ahead. I can't tell you how many times I've been in a car with somebody where they were very upset about the traffic jam. We drive about a mile up the road and there are two cars there. One flipped on top of the head. The ambulance is there and you see the car and they're driving away and you're going, oh my God, I'm so glad that I wasn't there when that was happening, right? I've seen that more than once in my life, you know? And I've always been a fan of saying, hey, you know what? I don't know what's going on up there, why the traffic jam's here, but I'm good. I'm just gonna go with the flow. Go with the paces right now and see what happens. So yeah, we so 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 change is inevitable. Growth is completely optional. That's up to us. Yeah, I think a lot of it stems from fear. You know, uh, we're afraid of if I try something, if I do something, what's going to happen? And I think it, it's useful to actually put ourselves in fearful situations where it's somewhat controlled, uh, so that we can see that not everything is necessarily as horrible as it could be, which I believe is the way brain science works. Our, our brains are wired up to look at, oh no, what if? And I'm, I mean, I've done things like, you know, rappelling down a mountain, skydiving, things like that. And, you know, when you put yourself in those potentially life-threatening situations, it kind of opens up your eyes. Uh, you know, I, I've spoken to gazillions of speakers uh, who, you know, they're terrified before they walk out on a stage. Mm -hmm. I personally don't have that. I, I'm just wired up weird, I guess. You know, I'm, when I'm on, I don't know about you, Dean, but when I'm on the side of a stage and they're announcing my name, I'm kind of like a racehorse at the gate. I'm like, come on, say my name so I can get out there and get going. But and I, I'm, as a, an ex-member of the National Speakers Association, I've spoken to lots of professional speakers and they're terrified in, until they get out there. And yeah. I think that's a great metaphor because it's once you get going, typically you find, A, it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. And B, once you're in that flow moment, everything disappears. And a perfect example for me is while I don't get afraid to go on stage, I have terrible seasonal allergies in the spring. There's about three to four weeks where I'm just miserable. My eyes are, I want to rip them out of my head. My nose is running. And, you know, I've been on stage many times during that. And the incredible thing to me, which really proves the power of the brain is once I get out there and I stop talking, my eyes start itching, stop itching. It's all, I'm not thinking about that. I want to rip my eyes out because you're in that flow moment, and that's moment. what we need to be with our prospects. We need to be truly in that moment where we're connected to them and everything else disappears. And I think that's where they're going to see that servant mentality that you talked about before, yes? Yes, absolutely. That's exactly where you see it because you're in the moment. You're not here for you. You're here to serve. You're here to deliver value. You're here to make sure that they get the message that you're trying to deliver. They're the ones that need it. You're not here for you. This is not about you. This is about them. I mean, that's the, that's the mojo. I see, I will never lose my mojo if I am consistently thinking about the other person and what they need and the value I need to deliver. I will never lose my mojo. Never, never, never. Not going to happen. Yeah. Not going to happen. St Steve Kent says, get out of your comfort zone. Take the road less traveled once in a while. <laughs> You're absolutely right, Steve. Yes. Um, so, <clears throat> excuse me. How, how do you save your sales presentation from sucking? Because so many of them do. How do you do that, Dean? <laughs> Well, you know, there, there are lots of uh, techniques, you know, about your sales presentation. You know, save it from sucking. But, you know, I, the truth of the matter is that there are two things I would say about your sales presentation that will prevent it from ever sucking. But before you do it, I think I want people to believe or not sure I want people to believe. You should try to believe that people in general don't want to see you fail. They don't want to see you fall down, you know, when you get on the stage. It's kind of embarrassing for them if you're standing up there and, and you're not making it, right? So people want you to succeed when you stand on a podium. Know that 
in general, people want you to succeed. So the first thing is you need to suspend your agenda and remember that this isn't about you. It's about the people you're called to serve. If you can just stay in that mode of this is the people you're called to serve, then your inspiration will, will, will you, you will have inspired action at that point. If you really are in a headspace of I'm here to serve these folks right now, like right now, I'm thinking about everybody that's watching us right now, Jeff. And I could stumble over a word or two. I don't really care. I don't give a crap about any of that. I want to make sure I'm getting the value out right. So the first one is I'm here to serve. This is my. This is what I'm here for. I'm here to serve, serve you. The second thing is embrace your vulnerabilities. And what I mean by that is if you stumble over your words, or for me, the longer I talk, the more my Jamaican accent comes out. Okay. And that used to be something I, I would be scared of. But as my dad would say, and I always, now, now I quote my dad in his accent all the time. I said, he would say, Dean, observe the masses and do the opposite. <laughs> okay. So, so, but, you know, earlier in my career, I would really fight hard to speak like an American all the time and try to say all the right words the right way. And, and, of course, I got knocked off the horse a couple of times by a couple of my mentors, everything. And once I embraced that, once I embraced that vulnerability, all that went away, you know, never, never had that issue again. I don't feel that way. So I think that number one is suspend your agenda. Make sure you understand that you're here to serve uh, the, the audience that you're called to serve and then embrace your vulnerability. Nobody cares. It's OK if you stumble over your words. It's OK if you have a lisp. It's all right if you talk and spit sometimes because you're too excited. It's okay if you draw a blank. I mean, I've stood on stage many times and say, hey, oh, hey guys, give me a second. Just had a, a blank moment there. Uh, give me one second. <laughs> uh, hey, what was I talking about? What, what, what's the last thing you heard me say? You know, and I just walked back in the room. Can't tell you how many times I've said that. In fact, when I do full day training sessions, Part of my opening is always, you know, who in the room has a good memory? And there's always somebody who raised their hand. I go, good. It's your job. Every time you hear me start to tell a story, which I'm going to tell a lot of them today, you got to remember why I was telling you the story, because I promise you, by the end, I'm going to go, why was I telling you that? I know there was a reason. <laughs> it, it happens to me all the time. And I love the idea of embracing your vulnerabilities. And it's what I call acknowledging the obvious. You know, they saw you spit. They saw you stumble over your words. Why not admit it? I'll, I'll often jokingly, you know, I'll stumble or something. I'll say, you know, if, if I could speak better, I'd be a professional speaker when I'm standing in front of an audience of, you know, yeah. 200 people. Uh, it, 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 so there, there's nothing wrong with acknowledging that you're not perfect. And, and by the way, I wish I had that Jamaican accent because I love it. You know, any <laughs> the British accent, which makes you sound intelligent no matter what you're saying, that British, Jamaican accent just sound, sounds so warm and friendly. You know, it, it doesn't sound the same when I go man, yaman. You know, I, I sound like a from New York trying to trying to be cool. But I, I personally, I would embrace that. Uh, let's see, our a Facebook user who we don't know the name, but Facebook user says maybe instead of consultative selling in terms like that, it should be called selling as service. It would really distinguish the kind of selling that ethical people do rather than bottom feeders and opportunists. Well, I don't know who said that. Whoever you are, absolutely right. We don't want to be one of the bottom feeders. We don't want to be opportunists. We want to come from that servant mentality. So I think consultative selling is a part of that. But you're right. It's you got to come from I'm here to help you. Um, It sounds like the pandemic made a huge impact in your life. You sold your, your salon. How did it change the way you prospect and sell? So uh, what what that did? Uh, well, the first thing is honesty. It, it it pushed me more towards online um, prospecting and selling, right? I mean, I, I had done it before, but not to the degree that I do it now. I mean, ninety percent of what I'm doing now is online, 
at this point in time. Uh, I can't wait for everything to open up again so we could go live again because I love I love being in person. I love the connection. I love all that rah rah sauce when you're in a room. I mean that is, that is like my go to stuff, right? But I've essentially recreated that rah rah stuff online too by trying to make the the virtual trainings interactive and asking people to do stuff in the comments and things like that. So I think the biggest thing uh, was was the pivot, if you will, Jeff, to going. You know, I would say eighty to eighty-five percent online for prospecting and sales. But mm-hmm. you know what hasn't changed though? Uh, what hasn't changed is 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 how it's done, like the words I use or how I say it. None of that's actually changed, even in the posts or the messages that I send or the trainings that I do. Whether I'm standing in front of an audience live or virtual, it's essentially the same eight steps that I'm going through. You know. Yeah, it, it feels different to us, though. I know what you mean. I mean, up until the pandemic, 90% of my business was getting on an airplane and flying across the country or somewhere else in the world and, yeah. you know, standing in front of, you know, 10 or 20 or 100 salespeople. And, and I love that live interaction. I love the feel of it. It, it. But, you know, we've all had to embrace that the world has changed. It, it's moved on. And I'm not sure it's ever going to go back to exactly what it was, although I think that live events are starting to open up again and we're going to see it. And I've actually seen some of your videos. And if, if you don't get to do live events again, that's a loss for the world because I know you you get your audience engaged. You're getting them up to high five. And I've seen them playing with each other's faces. And yeah. I, love I love that kind of stuff. It, it, it's part of what makes the message hit home. And it helps people to see that it's not just about the words you say, although there's a lot about the words you say. It's about being a human. It's about connecting with others. It's about being real. And uh, I hope for all our sakes that you, Dean, get to stand in front of people soon. Well, thank you for that, Jeff. I appreciate that for everybody, if if you don't. Um, What what are the biggest mistakes that keep us stuck? Well, you know, I think one of the biggest mistakes is – well, this is probably not a mistake, but more of a feeling that comes over us. And by the way, when I say this, I want everyone listening to know that I've been doing this for essentially two decades. And this still happens to me, especially when I go to level up. Imposter syndrome, I think, keeps people stuck a lot. That thing that they're going to find you out as a fraud or you're going to make such a big mistake. And I say, how could you ever think you could do this? You know, and I think imposter syndrome is a huge thing that keeps a lot of people stuck. It makes you so afraid to take that next step or to take any step at all that it leaves you stagnant. And that really freaking sucks, man. Uh, And I'll tell you that I don't know if I do battle with it as much as it comes up still for me. And I have to basically smack it down. I don't even I don't even allow it to bubble to the top anymore. But it does still come up. So I'm, I'm, what I'm saying is that it never really goes away that it won't plague you anymore. Because every time you decide to go from where you are to where you want to be, which will happen every time you level up, that imposter is going to show up and say, hey, D, okay, you've climbed high enough, don't you think? I mean, what makes you think you go even higher right now? I mean, you're on top of the World Trade Center. There's no other building taller than that. So why don't you just simmer down and stay in your lane? That voice comes back. So I think that keeps us stuck for sure. Uh, The second thing is I find that it's hard for people to change their minds, right? So in in other words, what keeps you stuck is your perspective, right? So here's the thing. You cannot solve a problem or overcome a roadblock at the same level of awareness at which it was created. Say that again. Can't solve a problem or crush a roadblock at the same level of awareness at which it was created. You must be willing to step up your level of awareness because otherwise you can't solve that problem that happened down here. You got to step up just a little. 
You got to do something that you've never done before to overcome something that you never did before. And that's the mm-hmm. bottom line at the end of the day. So to me, those two things keep us really, really stuck and almost everything else will fall into some way in that category of those things. Got to change your yeah, It's great. And, and I, I think it, it, it also comes down to, again, acknowledging the obvious, acknowledging what's so. I think so many of us fight uh, against what we're really feeling like. I'm an imposter. Uh, look, I don't know Tony Robbins personally, although I put a lot of money in his pocket and sat in a lot of audiences yeah, with him. Me too. But I'm going to guess that at sometimes even Tony Robbins goes, who am I to stand in front of all these people and, and say the things I say? I know I, I, I've certainly got that. You know, there's certainly a large part of my mind that has incredible confidence in what I do and, and my ability to help people. But there's certainly that voice that says, oh, my God, how do they not know what an idiot you are? Why, did they, <laughs> why would they possibly listen to you? I used to do a lot of local theater, and um, it, it, when you do local theater, there's always somebody, or, or they, they hire somebody to come and videotape the performances, and you know, usually you want to buy it so you can see yourself on stage, and inevitably, every time I would look at it and go, oh my God, why did that director use me? I suck. Why did I look up when I was supposed to? We pick ourselves apart, but the fact is, somebody did believe in me, and I am good, and you are good, and each of us are. We, we, I think it's okay to acknowledge that we can have those self-doubts and say, okay, even though there's a part of me that isn't sure that I'm 100% of who I said I should be, I'm going to just go, thank you for sharing, and I'm going to go deliver every, anyway because I am a servant, and I owe, it to, I owe it to my prospects, and I owe it to my customers to deliver each and every day. And when you come from deep inside your gut that I'm here to serve, that's when you can overcome that little voice in your head. And by the way, for anybody who's watching or who watches on the replay, when I say that little voice inside your head, if you don't know what voice I'm talking about, it's the voice that just said, what voice is Jeff talking about? Yeah, exactly. We've all got it. And for some of us, it's Little voice hard. mastery. <laughs> exactly right. Um, we're quickly running out of time. Um, what, what what would you say are, are uh, well, actually, I've got two questions. I think we've got time for both. Um Something that I read that you said really blew my mind until I watched the video, but you suggest that salespeople should discourage themselves from achieving their ultimate dreams. That was a that you got me to click on that one. I was like, what the hell is he talking about? I wouldn't be explaining a little bit like that. Yes, yeah, we're, so, we're in the business of helping salespeople achieve their ultimate dreams. So yeah, absolutely. why should they why should they discourage themselves from that? Yeah, so uh my my dad, to go back to my dad, uh, uh, you know, years and years ago, would always say, he said, Dean, you shouldn't just focus on the things that validate your conviction. You must look at the things that are opposite to it to make your conviction more galvanized. So what he was trying to say is that you can't always just look at the pretty picture that tells you that you're greatest, that you're doing the right things and all of that. You need to know what else is out there so you can be either, hey, that actually is more resonant with me or that's exactly why I do what I do because I don't want to be like that. So here's my point. One of my mentors that used to interview all the 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 artists that would go into salons, right? Uh, this was a big deal. We focus on this a lot. They would sit down and he would go, so why do you want to do this? And they would tell him why. Oh, I'm excited. Love Redkin, blah, 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 whatever. And he'd say, yeah, but I mean, you, you do understand though that you're going to start at like level one. I mean, I don't understand why you ever want to put yourself through that. Right. And then they would say whatever they said. And and then he would say, okay, but look, before you even step on a stage for us, it's going to cost you anywhere from 10 to $15,000 just to get the education. So you could end up in a salon teaching for $250 a day. Why on earth would you want to start out doing that when you already own a salon? 
And, and some people would start to break at that point. Or they'd say, well, John, listen, this is what I was meant to do. I was born to do this. And I'm going to do this with or without you kind of a thing. So he was looking for the person that was strong enough already in their convictions that they could overcome all these things because he knew the roadblocks that they were going to face. So the idea about discouraging yourself is asking yourself those seven levels deep question as to why would you want to put yourself through this? Why would you suffer that? Why would you ever allow yourself to fall down, stumble, go through this rejection? Hear this people say to you, you don't know what you're talking about. Totally blow up your presentation. Maybe even risk looking stupid. Why would you do that? Are you crazy? And the bottom line at the end of the day is you better be crazy. You better be passionate. You better be one of those driving forces that nothing on this earth can stop you from fulfilling your purpose. And when you're in that mindset, my friend, Jeff, nothing stops you. I am so completely convicted and passionate about this. There's not a soul on this planet that could ever tell me, Dean, starting with an impact first mindset is wrong. That's your problem. <laughs> it's your problem. <laughs> I, I get it. Well, for, first of all, I could listen to you do the impression of your dad all day long because I love it. Uh, and, and you know, I, I think what you're saying is is why we hear so many highly successful people when they tell their their life story. It's always my dad told me I was a loser, or they. So many people who are highly successful yeah. came from some kind of strife, people telling them they couldn't do it or some terrible misery or, or accidents that happened to them and, and how they actually saw the bottom and were able to use that to go, I'm not going to stay here. I will climb out of this. Look, I've been there. I have been there and done that, my friend. I have been on the balls of my ass way more than once in my long career. And, you know, sometimes it's just you got to say, OK. I've blown it up until this moment, or I've had a terrible, whatever the situation is, but I'm not going to stay here. I'm going to take action each and every day, and I'm going to get back to where I need to be. And then it's simply a matter of doing it. And it's why having somebody like you in their life, an impact coach is so important because it's very challenging to do it alone. And as we kind of bring it full, full circle, you know, we were talking about how sometimes somebody else can see things in you, uh, like, like my psychic healer, like your mentor who can say something to you and go, you know what? I see where you are, but I know where you're going and I'm going to help you get there. It's why it's so useful. Dean, I'm going to share my screen in a moment, but uh, would you please tell people what is it that you do? What do you offer and uh, how can they reach you? Yeah, absolutely. So let me just grab this back for my lady here real quick. So, uh, so what I do is I teach uh, speakers, presenters, and coaches how to sell one to many from a stage. All right. And I teach them how to, uh, create that impact that they've always wanted to create while generating sales as well. So it's about generating sales through impact. And the easiest way to get in touch with me is to email me right there, as Jeff put on the screen. Uh, my, If you copy the link there, that's just if you wanted to book a call and talk with me for 10 minutes because you wanted to find out some more, you can do that. And I'm always on Facebook and or LinkedIn. And if you just punch in my name, Dean Forbes, I'm going to pop up. You'll see that beautiful mug. And there you are. So feel free to come join me. Come hang out uh, on Facebook and, and see what's going on. Yeah. Is there a phone number that uh, people can reach you at or is the email the best way? Email is the best way. Email or, or Facebook Messenger is the total best way to get in touch with me. I'm always answering those uh, every single time. Got it. Well, I'm going to let Steve Kent have the last word here. Steve says... Great discussion. Thank you at Jeff Goldberg and Dean Forbes. And I will echo Steve. 
Thank you so much, Dean, for the time you've invested with us, for sharing your brilliance generously. I really appreciate it. I'm glad to have you as part of my life. I'm glad we connected. And I'll end as I always do, my friends. Please remember that sales is a game of making things happen. So get out there and make sales happen. Thank you, Dean. Thank you, everyone. Appreciate it, guys. Bye.